0: Father, we uh, we are here in Your presence. We are always in Your presence because You are You are eternal and You are everywhere. And Lord, I pray that in the, in this moment, in this stillness, that is for a lot of us pretty rare in our week, that You would just come, Holy Spirit, and melt our stony hearts that have been hardened by a week of busyness and bad news and even good news. And Lord, we we are always left to our own devices. We are tending to move away from you and toward independence. We are tending to move back into old habits of living life apart from you as orphans. Lord, we are tempted to believe what the world has to say about life and success and where we're gonna find life and how we're gonna be happiest. And um, Lord, we ask that you would just melt all of that away. Or that you would cause our hearts to be very tender, our ears and eyes to be very open. As Nehemiah prays here, um, for your eyes and ears to be open to him, Lord, we pray that for us. Lord, would our ears and eyes be open to you and who you are and what you want to show us and what you want to say to us today, Lord. And so we, we just pause and we just give you ourselves and ask you to come and till the soil of our hearts and do your good work. And we ask that in your name, Jesus, confident that you will do it. Amen. Okay, so um, today we're talking about prayer. We're looking at a prayer of Nehemiah's. And as I was thinking about this this week, it made me reflect on two of two really well-known prayer scenes in movies that are also very funny. Um, one is from Meet the Parents, one of my favorite movies. And if y'all are familiar, the, the prayer at the dinner table where the father-in-law asks Greg to pray, and um, you know the the line um, oh sweet Lord of hosts like he has no idea what he's saying but he's just he's pulling from the memory banks of okay these are things that I've heard about God and heard you know heard other people say about God and so there's this whole idea and and it's I mean it's tapping into something that's so real in our our culture and even in our own lives that prayer is this very formal almost like code that we have to figure out and uh, and God is very distant and if we can just say the right things, if we can sort of find the, the artifacts that speak these magical words, that we can uh, somehow survive and he won't hit us with a lightning bolt and he'll give us what we want. Um, it also made me think about Talladega Nights uh, and that epic, epic prayer, which, you know, there's some truth in that prayer, but there's also a lot of craziness. But um, I'm just laughing thinking about just, I prefer to pray to the little baby Jesus and uh, and when his friend says, you know, I like to think of Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. And I just think about how there's so much truth there of like how we view prayer. Of It's really like I'm not even paying attention to God at all. Like I'm here to get what I want. I'm here to make you in my image. Um, I, I believe that this is a one-way street in which you're there just as this benevolent genie or grandfather who's just giving me what I want. And, and I'm just like living however I feel like. And this is just all about me. And so, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we've grown up in church or not, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that we get about prayer from church, too. So it's just everywhere. And so um, I'm really excited about this morning because I believe the Lord has just called us to this passage to free us and and open us up to see prayer afresh and and see what he's really inviting us into um, as he invites us to pray. And looking at this prayer from Nehemiah, and so um, if you're just joining us for the first time, we are in a new series that we're going to be in throughout the fall until we get to Advent called, um, I remember today, um, Come Let Us Rebuild. And, uh, and we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and, and what we're really focusing on there is that the Lord is calling Nehemiah, just like he is calling every single one of us, because this is what we were made for, into a vision, into a vision that is convicting um, and I, I mean that in the sense of the word that like it is compelling. Like we are getting a vision from the Lord. In fact, I mean we're we're really getting multiple visions across the course of our life from the Lord of what He wants us to do, how He wants us to use our energy, how He wants us to use our loves, how He wants to use our talents and our time. And uh, we are pursuing this vision in community. This is always He's calling us into things that are bigger than ourselves and they're for more than just ourselves. And so as we as we look, we're still early in this story. Um, Nehemiah is, is in the process of, of getting this vision and clarifying this vision, and now his first response to this vision is to pray. And uh, there's a theologian who says this about prayer. He says, Jesus always stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. To pray is to let him in, to invite Jesus into our need, to let him glorify his name in the midst of our needs. So it's this idea that I don't have to say, oh, sweet Lord of hosts, uh, or the right thing to say to get Jesus to pay attention to me. He is, he is already knocking. He wants to come in and, and have fellowship with me before I even think about him. The fact that I even want to open the door is, is fruit of him already working in my life and making that possible. And so it's this idea that prayer is really this beautiful, intimate, life-giving thing that shapes us and shapes how we engage in those callings that we have from the Lord and shapes how we engage with the people that he's put in our lives and and it reminds us that uh, when God calls us to these kind of these callings and these visions in our lives it's never never um, to be done in our own power like any any calling that we receive from the Lord is is doubling as an invitation from him to work alongside him um, as our loving father This is, it's like he wants to go on an adventure with us together. That's, I mean, our our vision statement, we're on adventure with Jesus. This is never something that he has to, you know, he throws out there for us to do and has his arms crossed and like waits to see if we pass the test. This is something that he's saying, come on, let's go do this together and we're going to actually do it in my power and in my way and it's going to be a huge blessing to you as we go. So today what we're going to do is look as Nehemiah knew certain things about prayer, he knew certain things about prayer, and that was very helpful for him, and that's actually what enabled him to pray, and that shaped the way that he prayed, way that he prayed. And so um, that's that's what we're gonna do today, is, is just really kind of a primer on prayer. And we're gonna see what the things that he knew were and, and try to know those things and ask the Lord to, to help us know those things as we go. And so just a, a little reminder, uh, verse four. We, we hit on verse 4 last week, but this is, verse 4 talks about just the space and the time uh, that when you pray, it's not like you just throw up some, some statements and then you walk off. It's it's sitting. I mean, that does happen sometimes. Nehemiah's about to do that here in a little bit, but um, it's primarily this sitting in this space and this humility and just listening in this receiving posture. And that's like this greenhouse. That's the soil in which our you know, our relationship with Jesus is grown and he's changing us and shaping us and creating this beautiful intimacy with him and this beautiful life with him. And so that is the context in which all of this that we're about to talk about is found. And so we're going to start start at the beginning in verse 5. Um, the first thing we need to know when we pray is we need to know who God is. Who are we talking to? And I love I love what he hits on here in this this verse in Nehemiah's words is is these twin, these twin truths about God. That these are like the, the $50 theologian words, but he is transcendent and he's also imminent. Okay, what does that mean? He's transcendent. He is Yahweh. He is I am who I am. Like there is no explaining. I am who I am and you don't even understand. You don't even begin to grasp who I am. I am the God who has been from all eternity. I'm the creator of heaven. I just am and there's no arguing and there's no changing. Um, I'm not affected or changed by any other creature. I've created everything. You know, and he says great and awesome. Another another rendering of those words is great and terrible. Like f- just fierce and powerful and, and literally awesome. Not the way that we use that word, but the way that it, it is really intended to be used. Um, this summer we were at the beach and I mean, some of y'all are like, this is no big deal because I've lived through much more than this, but I'd never been in any kind of like scary weather system before and we were at this house that was basically on the beach and we had these French doors that opened into the bedroom we were staying in and as a tropical storm passed through, I mean, those doors were locked at the top and the middle and the bottom, and they were just rattling, and they were about to bur- burst open at any minute, and sand and water were fl- like just flying through the cracks in that door, and the whole house was shaking, and the winds were like 50, 60 mile an hour, and it was just coming with this just brute force, and it's like that is just a tiny picture of the power and the awesomeness of God. And so the first question is, do we know that God? Um, do we know this transcendent God who is so big and so awesome and so terrible? But the thing that is just mind-bending about this God that just in some ways doesn't even make sense is that this God who is, also, who is transcendent is also imminent. It means he is close. He's the God who is with. He is the covenant-making God. And when, and when Nehemiah talks about God being a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, think about this. The God of the universe who is not bound by anything chose to bind himself by an oath of death. I will be your God forever. I am, I am joining myself to you like in marriage. That's what this is, is his relationship with us is this beautiful marriage that rests on his faithfulness. And so this God of the universe, who is is just so high and mighty and awesome, chooses in his also his humility to bind himself to his people, who don't deserve it, who are sinful, who are always running away from him. And he said, "You know what? I, I know what I'm signing up for, and it's worth it because I love you." And so it's like you see this gentleness and this love and this kindness and the and the, the beauty in his awesomeness and the beauty in his humility and and just faithfulness to us it it reminds me of I mean it's like you know we have Hutch our almost one-year-old now and just as we sit with him and we are so tender with him and just help him stand up and he holds on to our our fingers with his little hands and he's kind of walking around a little bit and and we just are so tender with him and just give him what he needs like this is God with us like the same God who is breaking down doors and and destroying uh Destroying buildings with His power is also tenderly caring for um, all of His people, and so have you encountered that God? Because because He is both of these things, and and I think these things come together really beautifully when Jesus says, "Hey, this is how I want you to pray," and He just starts with, "Our Father in heaven," and and as I pray that prayer, that gives me so much comfort because it is these two things together. I have a Father. And my Father is in heaven, and and nothing escapes his his knowledge. He knows everything that is going on in my life, and he is above everything and over all things, Um, and he loves me so completely. So this is who we're praying to. This is who God is. Um, And then next, we need to know who we are. Uh, The first half of verse 6, Nehemiah touches on this. You know, he talks about being a servant of God and his and God's people being God's servants. Um, and that certainly is true. Jesus is our king. And in, throughout the New Testament, Paul always refers to himself as a servant of Christ. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I am here to serve. I'm here to do his will. I'm here to do whatever he wants because that is what is good. That's what's best. And that's what it means to follow him. And that's that's what he's called me to. I'm here to do God's will. Um but here's, here's even more than that, even more than what Nehemiah was experiencing as God's servant and as God's chosen people. Um, this side of the cross, we are also God's sons and daughters. So everything that he's saying, yes, plus more. Um, Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so as we see Nehemiah here um, saying, God, will you please turn your eyes to what I'm saying? Will you please turn your ears to what I'm saying? Um, now as, as God's sons and daughters, it's like um, Field, our three-year-old, um, just going through all the children today. Um, when I'm holding him there, are a lot of times he wants my attention, daddy, daddy, daddy. He just grabs my face with both hands and turns it. He's like, there you are. Okay, now I've got some things I want to tell you. Um, and that's how we can come to this God, the God of the universe, the God of awesome power. We are also his sons and daughters who he loves with such tenderness and gives us permission, not only permission, but invites us to talk to him as sons and daughters with their daddy. And so we, we are his servants. We care about what he's doing. We care about his will. That's what we want to have done. Uh, but we're also his sons and daughters. And skipping down to verse 10, um, we are the redeemed. You know, Nehemiah, as he's praying here in verse 10, he's saying, like, we we are the people that you've redeemed with your power and your strong hand. Like, you've already saved us. We are already yours. And so what are you going to do with your people? Nothing is going to change the fact that we are your people. In fact, being your people guarantees that this is worth doing, that this prayer I'm engaging in is not pointless because you have you have joined yourself to us, and we are yours, and nothing can change that Romans 8 32 says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with Jesus graciously give us all things look if the cross has already happened if we have already been redeemed if all of our sins have already been accounted for and taken in Christ and we have nothing left to fear and God did all that while we were enemies and apart from him and really didn't have a care in the world about what he cared about how do we not think that now, now that he has done that, now that he has given his very son for us to bring us in and adopt us and make us his own, that he is not going to have this rich relationship with us where he continues to lead us to abundant life. So we can have confidence in this relationship. And, and think about this too, um, Jesus' invitation for how to pray in Luke 11. This is a, I mean, please, if you're having a hard time in prayer, go meditate on this passage. Luke 11, 9 through 13. So I forgot to mention, this um, podium or pulpit or lectern, whatever it's called, um, we had Maple Built, which is a North Nashville nonprofit, um, teaches young guys in the neighborhood how to do woodwork, make this for us, and really pumped about it. And also had them build in a secret compartment for a water bottle. So that's cool. Um, but, but, I mean, think about what Jesus just said. He's like, man, just keep asking because he's going to answer you. He loves you. Um, and then of course, as sons and daughters, um, we are part of a family, and it's not a broken family. It's not like God had a bunch of marriages, and now he's got all these random step kids everywhere that are disconnected from each other. We are all a part of the family of God, and so as a son or a daughter, that means I have brothers and sisters, and I really care about what's happening in my family. So that's who God is, who we are, and now We really need to know what our biggest problem is at all times, no matter what is going on in the world. And um, see that in the second half of verse 6 and verse 7. And guess what? It's not our circumstances. It never, ever, ever is our circumstances. My biggest problem, your biggest problem, our collective biggest problem is always our sin. And this is so important. It doesn't have to be threatening because remember who we are. Remember who you are in Christ. You don't have to be afraid of God because of your sin. He's already dealt with it. But think about this. If I miss this, if, I'm, if I miss that my sin is my biggest problem, um, then I miss worship. I miss treasuring Christ because really what value is he if I don't think that I have a need? And what happens, then that just starts to shape my whole life and it shapes how I pray and I live like a victim. And it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's what happened to me a long time ago. It's what happened to me yesterday. It's what's happening to me right now. It's your sin, it's not my sin. And so as a victim, I'm always praying, um, Lord, will you just help my life be more enjoyable? And I'm totally disconnected from who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I'm totally disconnected from God's mission in the world. I'm totally disconnected from all these visions and callings like Nehemiah has that are so much bigger than myself. And I'm just left in this really small, sad little world that just keeps shrinking because it's just all about me. And so so Nehemiah says, hey, we've sinned against you. And not just me, we collectively, um, our, this little family, your children, we have acted corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments or statutes or rules. And when he says all three of those things, what he's saying is like, look, you've given us your word. You've told us how to live. You said this is good for you if you'll just trust me and follow me and really care, just care about what I say, Um, this is how life is going to go well. And so what we do instead is is we just, you know, as our call to worship or our uh, confession and assurance says, like, we just don't care. We dismiss this beautiful gift that is God's word to us and tells us how life works and how we're meant to live. And we just throw it behind us. And then the craziest part is then we get angry at God for our life not going well. And I, I'm not listening to anything that he's saying. And Nehemiah's like, man, I've done that. Like, we've done that. We've made a practice of doing that. Like, please help us. Um, and so, so what are those ways that, like, God's called us to live? Well, just I mean, let's just st- today start with Jesus, what he says the greatest commandments are. Of, like, love God with everything that you have in you. Um, and love your neighbor as I've loved you. I've laid my life down for you so that you could have life. And, and that's, all, that's where we, we can just stop there. Like I can stop there and reflect on my last week and know I've not lived like this. Like Lord have mercy on me. I've spent this whole week thinking about myself. I've not cared about what you've said. I've not cared about the stuff going on with my neighbor down the street. I've not cared about stuff going on with the people in my own house. I'm just so wrapped around myself all the time and that is my greatest problem. And so Nehemiah knows this, and he goes to him and says, Lord, please help me. Because guess what? Nehemiah, me, you, we can't free ourselves from that. That is a a supernatural work that God has to do in us. And he will. He is so faithful to do it. But that is always where we start is is my sin. Um, And then the next thing we need to know is we need to know what we're asking Like, what am I asking when I come into God's presence? And this is kind of what we see in verses 8 and 9 here. Um, And really what we're asking for is we're asking for God to keep his promises to us. We're asking for God to keep his word to us. Why? There's a couple reasons, probably more than that, but two that I know of. One is because he loves us, and and he is infinitely wiser and more loving and, and caring than we are. And so he loves you even more than you love yourself. And he knows what you need and the people that you love need better than you do. And so when I ask for his will to be done, I'm actually saying, hey, I'm acknowledging that I don't know. I'm telling you, I love myself (laughs) in a healthy way. And I love these people. And I also, here's what I think might be good, but like, I really don't know. Would your will please be done in their lives? Would your will please be done in my life? Um, Because he knows And second reason for this is um, because his will is going to be accomplished. And so there's just an element of living in accordance with reality that's really healthy. Um, I can keep slamming my head into a brick wall and hoping that the wall is going to fall down, or I can acknowledge that the wall is there and go walk through the door. Like, his will is going to be accomplished. And so I need to get in line with what his will is and live in accordance with that. And that is how to live wisely in this world, and that is what will shape us. That's how the Lord shapes us, Um, and so that's what makes, I mean, this is kind of weird when you think about it, and verse 8, it's what makes this covenant curse encouraging in a strange way, is Nehemiah says, the first thing he says is, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Like, why are you asking God to remember that? Well, he's asking God to remember that, and, and I'm not going to go into it. Actually, I am. I'm going to go into it. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5. This is like Nehemiah is praying this right now. In Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 5, this is where God is telling Moses, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, because he even knew back then you're not going to listen. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, that sounds familiar from our passage? From there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Nehemiah is going to what God has already said. And the reason that curse is encouraging is because it happened exactly the way God said it would. And that's encouraging because what God says after the curse. But all you have to do is just return. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how many years you've lived in disobedience and rebellion, if you will just turn and, and come back and humble yourself, I'll take care of the rest. Even if you are the furthest point on the horizon away from me, I will even there, I will gather you and find you and bring you to myself and bring you into the life that you were made for with me. And that promise is true for you. It does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from the Lord. No place is too far for him and all you ever have to do is just turn and say Lord help me I'm tired of running in the opposite direction and he will and you don't have to be afraid that he won't answer that prayer he always answers that prayer and I'm not going to go into this but um in Daniel 9 if you read Daniel 9 basically this whole passage is very very similar to Daniel 9 and, and why am I telling you this? Because it's important. Nehemiah was wise. He walked with the Lord and he knew, I want to go see in God's word what God has already promised and what he said he's going to do and how he says life works. And then I want to pray in accordance with that because that's good and that's wise. And that's, that's how life is going to make sense. And that's what's going to shape me to know how to live and how to move and groove in God's world with him and with his people. And so... Um, but it's, it's not the same as what uh, Gaylord Fokker was doing in Meet the Parents when he prayed, Oh, sweet Lord of hosts. That was a prayer of distance. That was a prayer of formula. Um, this, even though he is praying the words of other people, um, this is a prayer of intimacy. I want to know who you are and you've given us. Martin Luther said that the Psalms are God's school of prayer. That's how we learn how to pray. That's how we learn what to pray for. That's how we learn who God is who we are, what our greatest needs are, and so as I come and I pray these prayers that um, aren't words that I made up for myself, um, that's actually, that's not suffocating. That's actually freeing because um, it's important. The Lord uh, calls us to pray both kinds of prayers. There are, are form prayers that are a blessing to us to pray, but there are also, you know, spontaneous prayers that we pray, but I think of a lot of us, myself included, until somebody explained it to me, um, believe that foreign prayers are really constricting. And they were like, yeah, but actually think about this. When you pray spontaneously, most of the time uh, it's very self-centered and you find yourself praying the same thing over and over again because you're not that creative and you need some help. So I'm like, wow, that's true. And so it's this beautiful dance between like just talking to God freely but also drawing from his promises and uh, and his word and teaching us how to pray. Um and so that's why you know Thursday mornings. That's why we put so much value in that as our time in prayer. And I want to just stop and ask y'all, um, please, please come join us in that. And the reason I'm asking you to come join us in that is because um, we believe that this is where we are learning to commune with God as a body. And so this is the perfect time to jump in if you if you haven't done that yet. It's not intimidating. Nobody's got a grade sheet. Nobody's judging anything. We're all there as beggars looking for bread from Jesus. And so um, we are going to start this next few weeks. I don't know how long it's going to go, but just like, Lord, how do we pray? And Just start at the beginning. So um, please, Thursdays at 6 a.m., um, jump in with us. And so uh, the, the last couple things we need to know as we pray, one, um, we need to know that we've heard an answer. Nehemiah doesn't just like throw up wishes, Um, he knows that he's having a relationship with a person, uh, that when he talks, he expects God to answer, and so he prayed here for, at our best guess, is probably four months he was praying these kind of prayers, because it took four months for God to answer him, and then when he really felt like he heard an answer from the Lord, then he he moved on, but um, that's a good question for us, is when I pray, do I pray expecting God to answer me in a way that I can hear and understand? Because Nehemiah and Jesus and everything we've seen so far are saying, man, you really should because he loves you and he's a person and he's interacting with you. And then finally, uh, where we're going to land the plane here is we need to know where our confidence in prayer lies. My confidence in prayer is not that I have listened to the sermon, and read Nehemiah, and now I know how to pray. Like, what Nehemiah is doing here is he's interceding on behalf of his people. He's, he is asking God to keep his promises and do good things for people who aren't praying. He is asking God to send him on this mission, use me, to bless these people and to bring your name glory. And so essentially what he's asking for is, Lord, will you um, lead me to a specific place to suffer and give my life so that our people can have life? Use me, use me, use me, use me. Um, he was leaving, you know, the, the cupbearer, it says in verse 11, he's the cupbearer to the king. That that essentially is like second in command of the entire kingdom. He's, he's in a very trusted position. He is lower only, than the king and princes. That's what the cupbearer was. And so he is in the capital. He is with the king. He is in the lap of luxury. And he's saying, Lord, would you please allow this to work out so that I can leave this and go to ruins where there's all kinds of suffering. There are all kinds of people that don't care. There are all kinds of enemies that want to stop us from doing this. Lord, would you please send me out there? Um, That is how compelled he was with uh, care for the Lord, and and care for the Lord's people. And um, the good news for us is we have one who intercedes for us, uh, who is the greater Nehemiah, who is the Son of God, who is God, who came and took on flesh and not only prayed, but um, walked into this world, who left the kingdom to come out there where there's all kinds of suffering and all kinds of destruction, and said, Father, I want to go where you are sending me. I want to go so that our people who aren't even praying, who don't even know they're our people yet, who've lived their whole life apart from us, um, so that they can come home and be sons and daughters. And that's why he gave himself. That's why he lived the life that he did. That's why he died the death that he died. And now he lives again. And and guess what? He's still interceding for us, even now. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, and he's not just interceding uh, from the throne. Uh, The Holy Spirit now dwells in us, and so we have even the Spirit of God living inside of us, who is interceding for us. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That is our confidence in prayer. Our confidence in prayer is that we belong to Christ, and Jesus will always finish what he started. And he's given us everything we need. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us this community. And he said, I'm with you. I will be with you uh, until the end of the age. And so now as he invites us to pray, um, when we're discouraged, when we're confused, when we're even in despair about prayer, remember this, that the reason God created us the reason he calls us into working alongside him in the world, the reason that he sent Jesus, the reason that he tells us so much about himself and about prayer in the scriptures is because he has made us for intimate friendship. He desires intimate friendship with us through prayer. And this is a beautiful gateway. It is the primary gateway to a deeper relationship with him as his sons and daughters. Um, And so as that theologian said, Let Jesus glorify himself in your needs by opening the door and letting him in. Father, we uh, ask you to stir our affections for you, and and we ask you to help us trust you. Lord, help us to trust you that you really mean these things. Um, No matter how we feel, no matter what we've chosen to, to do with our time this week, um, no matter how far we've strayed, Lord, that you invite us to come, that we are your sons and daughters, and when you have called us to yourself, there's nothing, 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 nothing that can ever change that or, or separate us from you. So, Lord, in that confidence, give us a hunger for you, a hunger to grow in fellowship with you. Lord, help us to open the door, to let you in, and then just to, to ask you to, to teach us how, how to be with you and experience a life that we were made for. And we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so now in this time, uh, before, we, before we play, uh, before we worship through song, uh, we're just going to have a few moments to just give us give space to just meet with the Lord in prayer.